0: At the moment, we are thinking over three Sundays about uh, a particular core value of ours as a church. We're doing this every so often. We take a few weeks out of the regular teaching program to to focus on one of the things that that really uh, we believe. Uh, is is important to us as a church family. And we're thinking over these three sessions, um, last Sunday, this Sunday, next Sunday, about the the value that we have of of caring for one another. So that's what we're doing. Thinking about this whole business of loving and caring for one another. And last week we saw, didn't we, that, that caring for one another is just one of the ways, basically. We're to love one another. We're to love the Jesus way. Uh, We saw in Philippians 2, didn't we, how how Jesus, as a servant, just poured himself out, gave himself away. Didn't think his reputation was anything to be held on to, but was willing to serve. Uh, And we we saw that that's how we should be. And we looked last week at, at where this comes from. Where this kind of love comes from, what its source is. Now, experts in Southampton, which I guess will be all of us, uh, will know that Southampton water is fed, isn't it, by at least two rivers, the Itchin and the Test. Uh, and in, in the same kind of way, our love for one another is fed from from two sources at least, two reservoirs. Firstly, we love one another in these practical ways, From our being loved by God. We have been loved by God and we love because we're loved by him. And as we understand that, as we grasp that, as we realize what the good news of Jesus is all about. That God loved us before we loved him. And he gave his son for us as we've been reminded already and we'll be celebrating later on. As we get that, and as that gets into us, as we start realizing that we are loved by God people, so we love others out of that. That's the first source. But there's another source that we thought about last week, and and that is that loving one another comes from knowing God's love in our experience, we saw that a Christian, a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus is somehow one who knows God's love, not just as a fact that God has loved them, but as part of our experience. And we, we looked at Romans 5 last week, that verse that talks about how the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he's given to us. So love for one another, we saw, comes out of who we are as believers, what we are as believers, it's kind of in our spiritual DNA. We thought last week about, you know, you buy a car and some of, some of us think caring for one another, loving for one another, that's some kind of optional extra. But it's not. It's the engine. We love one another not to prove anything, not to impress anyone, not to try and, you know, get God off our back or something, not to be good Christians. We love one another because We're loved by God and we know his love in our experience. And if you want to get more on that, just get down on the website and you can hear the the message there. And today I want us to to go a little bit further and build on that start as we begin to think in more detail about how that love gets worked out. And I want us to start with the way it was, as it was in the beginning, as the Anglicans like to say um, in their prayers, by looking at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that's on page uh, 1094, 1094, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It might come up on the screen. Thanks, Bill. It will come up on the screen. It says here that the believers, this is the first uh, church, the first group of believers ever as we know it today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved the very first community of believers then on the very day the church was born see how they showed his love well there it is in verse 44 and verse 45 they're together all the believers were together they hold everything in common what do they do they gave to anyone in verse 45 as he had need anyone in need they held their stuff pretty lightly didn't they and if you turn the page to Acts chapter 4 you'll see that it's still going on a little bit later verse 32 under that heading in the NIV if you're using that uh, version the believers share the possessions through that all the believers were one in heart and mind No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need." And then it talks about someone who did that, Joseph, who became Barnabas in verse 36. So again, they're holding their stuff lightly, aren't they? It says in verse 32, there were no needy people among them. They gave as people had need. And there's something going on here, isn't there? Let's have just have a look at these two little bits and see what it is. People are showing a practical care A love for one another. Again, it's just spilling out. It's just happening, isn't it? So where's all that coming from? What else is happening here? Look at verse 32 there. All the believers were one in heart and mind. That's interesting. As well as a shared life, there's a unity. A togetherness. Did you notice in Acts 2? Together, together, together. Luke keeps telling us. There's this unity. Anything else going on? Well, here, look at verse 33. With great power, the apostles testify, or continue to testify of the resurrection. Look at uh, uh, the, where is it? i um, just, verse 33, with great power. Oh, yes, at the end of that verse. Uh, and much grace was upon them all. Hmm. In chapter 2, verse 43, we read about awe. We read about wonders. We read about miraculous signs. In chapter 2, verse 47, we read about the Lord adding people to them. People getting saved, as the phrase sometimes is. People coming to know Jesus. But it was the Lord that was doing something. So what are we picking up here? There's this uh, presence of God. God is with them. God is doing things. Things are happening because God is there. His presence is being known among this community of his people here. So there's unity, there's shared life, and there's knowing the presence of God. You know, that's what Jesus had prayed for, for his disciples. In that prayer he prayed, before he went to the cross, just a few pages back, if you turn back to John chapter 17... Um, it's, it's in a few pages back just on the the night he was betrayed before he went out to the cross jesus prayed and and john ha, has got this prayer recorded for us it's on page 1085 so it is about 10 pages back in the if you're using this version and look what jesus prays for in verse 21 there he's praying that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. He's talking within the relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. He's talking to the Father here. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed that they would know this unity. That they would have a a life that was shared. That they would experience God's presence together. That love would be experienced in their community. That the world would see it and see that the Father had sent Jesus. And if you look down to verse 26, Jesus ends this prayer with the same idea. Verse 26, he's talking about the disciples. He says, I have made you known to them He's looking on into the future. He says, I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Unity, love, God at work in them. All the things Jesus prayed for. And what do we see in Acts 2? Unity, love, God at work in them. Jesus' prayer being answered. Now, who's Jesus praying for here? Is it just the 12 disciples or the 11? So that yeah, when you get to Acts 2, then Jesus' prayer is answered and that's the end of the matter? Well, have a look at verse 20 in John 17. Who's Jesus praying for? Is he just praying for the disciples who get it all going in Acts 2? Well, let's see. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's praying out for the people who will become believers. And I don't think that's stopped. His scope is right through time, right down to us today. His prayer, his hope, his expectation for us too is that we would know that, that unity in God's presence among us, the presence of God in our community and love For one another. So here's another source then of this love. Okay, if we've got the um, the itching and we've got the test, as it so happens, I think there's another river that flows into Southampton water, although technically it might be the Solent by them. It's the Hamble, okay? So we've got another source. If we've got a source of this love, not just that we have been loved by God, not just that we are loved by God. And know that in our experience. But we have this life of God in us together. And we love one another. We care for one another out of that too. Three sources then. A bit like Southampton Water. I don't know whether you find that helpful. The analogy I mean. So, here, so here's that, those three sources. But, but what happens then? If it's just not there. Hmm. Do we just let it it happen? And if it doesn't happen, well, too bad. That's God's fault. It's nothing to do with us. He promised it. If he's not doing it, well, you know. Well, no, surely not. The New Testament is written to communities of believers. Just like the one in Acts 2. And as we read the rest of the New Testament. As we read God's word for us right through time. It's full of encouragement for us to get on with doing it. Not just to leave it and let it happen, but for us to be active in the whole business of living out this kind of love for one another. You know, one church had a bit of a shock. Hello? Perhaps we've got a battery malfunction, as they say on Star Trek or something. The dilithium crystals can't take it any longer. Okay, are we back? I'll just carry on, Matt. Is that okay? Right. And, yeah, One church one day woke up, or maybe they woke up. They got a letter from Jesus anyway. It's a very well-known church, church in Ephesus. Later in history, uh, the Apostle John has a vision and he gets some messages from the Lord Jesus Christ to seven particular local churches, and Ephesus is one of them. Uh, and the letter they get is quite shocking because it includes they're being told by Jesus that they had left or lost their first love for him. Pretty serious. So what does he say to them? Well, he gives them a warning and he says, turn back. You can find it in Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5, if you want to check later. He says, remember where you've come from. Don't just leave it. Don't just stay as you are, but get back to where you should be. Repent, turn, come back again. Get back up, get on with living and loving his way. And today's title, Living a Life of Love, that comes from the New Testament. We'll read the passage in a minute. It's telling us to live this out in our lives. That this life of God, this love of God, this that we know in our experience, needs to be lived out and expressed among us. So I want us now to look at a couple of passages, including that one that talks about living a life of love, and just see uh, some things that might help us practically in this way of living. And and the first one is in 1 Peter, a letter that was written by the Apostle Peter to some believers um, uh, back in the first century. And you'll find it on the passage I'm thinking of on page 1220, uh, which is 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're looking at verses 7 to 11. So you see where we're coming from? We've got these sources of love and care among us that we're loved by God, that we know the love of God in our lives, that that we want to be living the life of God in our community together. But okay, let's look at some of the practicalities of this. Verse 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What does Peter tell us about the approach here? We're going to approach the whole business of loving one another. How are we going to do that? If you like the mindset, what needs to go on in our heads and our hearts that will help us in this business of of caring for one another, of living God's way? Just look at the approach here. Verse 7 is interesting. The end of all things is near. Peter's saying to them, Look, guys, it's urgent. He's saying, you know, we're in a, a new time. The scholars disagree on exactly what he means, but, but whatever he means, he's saying it really matters that you do this and you do this now. It's urgent. There's no time to kind of leave caring for one another for some more convenient time. It's now or never, says Peter. Now that's a good way, isn't it, for us to approach whole business of caring loving for one another we don't put it off we don't say well sometime I might get round to showing love to a brother or sister or but, but no it's now it's urgent that's the first thing in our heads let's get that right that you know if I if it's not done now and if if I don't do it now or if you don't do it now if one of us doesn't we've missed a really significant opportunity but there's more he says look guys he says you need to be intentional. Look, There's this idea, he says, look, be clear-minded and self-controlled. It's as if he's saying you need to make a decision in your mind to do this thing, to act. Not to, not to leave caring for one another for some more convenient time or from someone more gifted than you or, or for whatever, but to deliberately to make it a decision in your own head that you're going to do something to show love and care for your brothers and sisters. Because he goes on to say, he says, be self control Now, self-control. We often think of self-control in the area of, of you know, you, you kind of attempted to do something or a bit of you wants to do something and you don't do it and you show self-control, don't we? won't go into details, but lots of us will know exactly what we're talking about there. But there's, a, there's another, the, kind of the other side of that is when, We don't want to do something you know we think oh i can't be bothered to show any care i'm too tired oh my goodness surely someone else can do it there's a self-control that says i'm not going to listen to my desires and i'm not going to listen to the excuses i can make to myself i'm going to get on and do something right away that's the idea of being intentional self-controlled we need to get that into our heads don't we we need that love that says i will we need to do that. He also says we need to pray about it. So in a sense, we, we don't just rush in and do anything. He says that you need to be alert, self-controlled, clear-minded, and pray. One of the things the pastoral team does is pray. We pray every month for about an hour and a half. Uh, and we pray for people in pastoral needs. And we also do other things as well. But the prayer is really important. So you know, if you can't do anything else, you can certainly pray and show love and care that way. It's a great example. Thank you, Mandy, for sharing that about Olive. Uh, you you may not. Olive can't come to church these days. She's pretty much confined to where she is. She's praying, involved in that way. Expect when we pray, we're expecting God to be doing something. We need to get that into our heads. Verse ten says, get into your heads the fact that you are stewards. That work phrase there, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace. That's the idea of being a steward, that you've been given something that doesn't really belong to you. It's been given you to look after for the sake of other people. And Peter is saying to the believers he's writing to, get that idea into your heads That what God's given you, the gifts you have, uh, it's in trust. And it's to be used well. And it's to be used actually for others. Let's get that into our heads. It's urgent, so do it. Let's be intentional, clear minded. Let's pray about it. Let's realize that we're stewards. These are all things of uh, ways of, as it were, getting into it. But there's more. What do these verses tell us about the actions then? actually meant to do something we've got this mindset that kind of goes ahead of it and then okay what what do we do well look at look at it see what you can pick up verse 8 is the clearest one i suppose above all love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of, of sins now this idea of loving deeply it's the idea of actually stretching it's the idea of loving strenuously it's it's what athletes do you know when they they work hard at something, and they keep training, and they keep going. And Peter is saying to the believers, and he's, and he's saying, God's saying to us by his word, that, you know, we need to keep pushing at loving one another to, 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 to not stop, to realize, yeah, it can be hard work. And we can, uh, it helps us to realize that we're loving people who God has forgiven. <laughs> Just like he's forgiven us, as we shall see. Because Peter says love covers over a multitude of sins. God's love has covered our sins in Jesus. If God's love can do that, and He's covered a person's sins, then my love for them should be like His. See? That's what He's saying. So we love deeply, strenuously. Then look at what else He says that there's hospitality, verse 9. What's hospitality? Well, it's love that shares time. The key thing about hospitality is that it's time you spend with people. It's not about how good the food is. (laughs) It's not about how much of it it is. It's not about whether there's any food at all. But it's about the time you spend with another person out of love for them. That's what hospitality is about. And, you know, time, I think I said last week, is the one thing that we... We've got everything in the West. We've just about got too much of everything, except time. Haven't got any time. The most valuable thing we have. Are we willing to share that with one another, with others? Some are giving time for street pastors, time to pray for street pastors and school pastors and so on. Time. And it's love that serves others, verse 10. There's that idea. We're we're stewards, verse 10. um, Each one to use whatever gift he has received to serve others. So why am I doing this this morning? Well, I should be doing it to serve you. If God's gifted me, I use it to serve you. So when I sit down and think, oh no, I've got to prepare a message and it's uh, Getting late. It's going to be a late night. Actually, it happened to me exactly. I won't tell you what time. As I was preparing it, I just heard the Lord say, yeah, do this to serve others. It's part of our love. Why are, why are people doing everything they're doing? Why are the musicians playing this morning? At least one of them's feeling a bit under the weather. Why are they doing it? To serve you, to serve others. Why are the children's... Uh, workers doing great stuff with the children and the young people today, because they want to be stewards of God's grace to serve others. Why are people going to be making us a cup of coffee? Why are the prayer team going to be available? Stewards of God's grace to serve others. It kind of happens all the time, or it can be. I was going to say should be, but that sounds a bit like, you know, we'll do it out because we ought to. And that's not what we're meant to do. We're meant to just flow it out, as we shall see. And did you notice this passage keeps on about each other, each other, each, each, each. It's multidirectional. It's not just one way. So we see that in our coffee time. People all over the place, talking, sharing hopefully praying with one another, each one, multidirectional. It's for all of us to get stuck into. Now we're going to look at another passage more briefly that also talks about one another quite a lot. It's in Ephesians 4. So if you'd just like to turn back, we're going to look at a couple of verses, which actually leads us quite nicely, I think, into the communion that we'll share together. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. There it is. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul sums it up, live a life of love. Live a life of love. What's he summing up? He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. So how can I do that? How can I find that in me? I'm maybe not a very kind and compassionate person. I heard somebody said, I don't do forgiveness, somebody says, some people say. Some people think that they're not wired to be kind or compassionate. So how do we find that? Where's that going to come from? Forgiving one another. How can I do that? Well, Paul says, you can do that because you've been forgiven. God in Christ forgave you. He forgave me. So how can, if I've been really forgiven by him, How can I just simply say, I'm not going to forgive that person? Especially if they've asked me for forgiveness or they want to put something right. It's a complicated business, the whole forgiveness thing. And it's not easy and it sometimes takes us a lot of time. And it's often oversimplified. But at the heart of it, there's got to be a willingness to be in a place where if a person says, I'm sorry I hurt you, you're not going to have to go into like months of therapy to be able to say to them, it's okay, I let that go. Because you've got to that point, because you're willing, because you know that God in Christ has forgiven you or me. First 1 of chapter 5, we're dearly loved children. What a lovely phrase. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. So we're back to where we started in love, aren't we? And as dearly loved children, we can be like our father, our heavenly father, our loving heavenly father, our forgiving heavenly father. The father that welcomed us as prodigals back, who was running towards us before we even kind of realized he was there. We can be like him. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And that's what we're remembering. And it says here, Jesus did this as an act of worship. It says he gave himself a fragrant offering to God. That's the, the phrase of, of Old Testament worship. Uh, just as, and just as Christ did this in worship. So in worship we love one another. It's part of our worship. It's rooted in all that God has done for us. It's at the heart of our experience as loved, rescued, forgiven, healed people. So how can we not love others? How can we miss it? How can we miss the joy of of Jesus using us as we love another person, of his love touching someone else? Because we were willing to say, yeah, okay, I'll do it. I love that person. I'll serve in that way. Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. We're celebrating that in a moment. Are we going to be like Jesus then? Let him change us and make us. Don't hold him out. Don't say, I'm not going to let him change me in this area. But welcome his grace into our lives. And forgive others. Are we going to respond to his love? Maybe uh, this is the kind of first time you've been aware of God's love for you. You can turn to him, you can ask him for the forgiveness that he offers in Christ. Ask him to give you the life that he offers, the new life, the new start. As we turn from our rebellion and and, and receive the gift of his uh, forgiveness and salvation. And that can become the engine in our lives. His love becomes the engine of our love for others. Maybe some of us need to go back to that first love for him. Remembering where we've come from. If we've lost it for a bit. To get back to intentional loving, straining, uh, uh, strenuous, hard work kind of loving. Giving time, using what he's given me to serve others. So let's worship him. Let's worship him now as we come to the table. Let's worship him in our lives as we love one another. And let's worship him as we, we love the world that he loves for his glory. Thank right.